Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It won't matter where you came from or on what side of the tracks you lived at the end. It won't matter whether you were beautiful or brilliant. Even your gender and skin color will be irrelevant. So what will matter? How will the value of your days be measured? What will matter is not what you bought, but what you built. Not what you got, but what you gave. What will matter is not your success, but your significance. What will matter is not what you learned, but what you taught. What will matter is every act of integrity, compassion, courage, or sacrifice that enriched, empowered, or encouraged others to emulate your example. What will matter is not your competence, but your character. What will matter is not how many people you knew, but how many will feel a lasting loss when you're gone. What will matter is not your memories, but the memories that live in those who loved you. What will matter is how long you will be remembered by whom and for what. Living a life that matters doesn't happen by accident. It's not a matter of circumstance, but of choice. Choose to live a life that matters. And those are part of the words from the poem written by Michael Josephin. And the name of the poem is What Will Matter? We are still in the midst of graduation season, and I have come across various articles and other things that I want to share with you this morning. And so it's going to sort of be here and there and everywhere. I want to say that I was at a funeral of a friend several weeks ago when the minister quoted Lou Holtz, a football coach, with three tenets that he tried to live by, and he also encouraged his players to do so as well. Those three things are this. Always do the right thing. Always do your best. Always show people that you care. Not only for graduates, new graduates from high school or college, they are good things for all of us to try to live by as well. Always do the right thing. Always do your best. Show people that you care. I certainly think doing those three things would help us live lives that will matter. Now, your relationship with God is a choice that you make. Spending time with God each day is a wise investment of your time. And the purpose of this program is to point people to God and to a relationship with Jesus Christ, because I know that the only hope we really have for today will be found in that relationship. Several years ago, when we were vacationing in the mountains of North Carolina, Kay and I had the opportunity to go to the Cone Mansion. It was Moses Cone that built that mansion. When we were looking through all the artifacts there in the museum, we ran across this letter. This letter was written to Moses Cone's father as he was getting ready to leave Germany and come to America when he was 17 years old. So I'm going to read you this letter that I got. It says, among Cone Mills' most famous possessions is a letter written to Herman Cone by his brother-in-law, Joseph Rosengart, when Mr. Cone, at the age of 17, left his native Germany to come to America in April of 1846. He was the youngest of 12 children. His mother had died when he was an infant. Fortified with the advice in this letter and eager to make the most of his opportunities in the new world, this young immigrant was to become the founder of a successful enterprise known as H. Cone and Sons, wholesale grocers of Baltimore, and the father of Moses and Caesar Cone. And here's the letter. Place your full trust and confidence in God, who will send his angels to guard you. So do not be discouraged, and do not be afraid of leaving or of the voyage, but consider your fate a good fortune designed for you by God. 
You may shed tears because you are leaving your parents' house, your father, brothers and sisters, relatives, friends, and your native land. But dry your tears because you have the sweet hope of finding a second home abroad and a new country where you will not be deprived of all political and civil rights, and where the Jew is not excluded from the society of all other men and subject to the severest restriction. But you will find a real homeland where you, as a human being, may claim all human rights and human dignity. Be careful of your voyage and pay attention to your health as well as your belongings. Avoid the company of all but respectable and educated people. Be modest and polite to everybody. Thus, you may surely expect good treatment for yourself. Every evening and every morning, turn to God with sincere prayers. Do not be afraid of anybody and do not let anybody disturb your devotions. Even if some people should make fun of you at first, they will understand later and show their respect. I recommend to you the faith of your fathers as the most sacred and the most noble. Try to follow all the commandments most painstakingly and thereby attain actual happiness. Do not sacrifice your faith for worldly goods. They will disappear like dust and must be left behind in due time. Remember particularly the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for it is one of the most important pillars on which our faith is established. Do not disregard this day, and do not let gold or silver make you blind, and do not let any business, however tempting, induce you to violate the Sabbath. But at least on this day, think seriously about your existence and your work. It is not man's destiny to accumulate worldly goods just to be wealthy, but to acquire them to be used as means for the attainment of eternal happiness. I am, therefore, giving you as a keepsake an excellent religious book for your instruction. Make it your sacred duty to read one chapter each Sabbath and Holy Day with serious devotion and meditation. Do not lay it aside when you have read it through, but keep it and read it again from time to time. You thereby learn your religion thoroughly, act accordingly, and thus be honored by God and men. It will be your counsel in good times and bad, and will preserve you from all evil. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged, even in the distant country, you can show your respect and love towards your father by always remembering his good advice and by frequently writing him loving letters, thus giving expression to your devotion to him and to your brothers and sisters. Although your sainted mother is now in heaven, and although you never knew her, you can show her your greatest respect and love by following the faith as she did. You will thus be able to know her and be with her in heaven. Your sister and brother-in-law in America will surely receive you in their home with loving care. Consider their home as your father's house and be respectful and modest toward them. Show them your filial devotion and be attached and faithful to them as you have always been toward us. Follow their advice and their suggestions and whatever you may undertake, first ask them for their counsel. They will always give you the best advice and you will derive benefit therefrom, I'm sure. If you should be lucky enough to become wealthy in that distant land, do not let it make you proud and overbearing. Do not think that your energy and knowledge accumulated that wealth, but that God gave it to you to use it for the best purpose and for charity. Do not forget that you are also under obligation to assist your relatives and to help them get ahead. However, if you should not become wealthy, be satisfied with what you do have and try to be as comfortable and happy as if you had the greatest treasures. Follow the middle way between avarice and waste. Do not be stingy, but live according to your position and your finances and be particularly liberal toward the poor and charitable to the needy. 
Be glad to help and give part of your bread and give assistance to the distressed. Do not let anybody call you a miser, but be known as a philanthropist. On the other hand, do not be extravagant or a spendthrift. Even if the necessity should occasionally arise to spend more than usual, never feel obliged to squander. It is of utmost importance that you keep account of your expenditures and live within your income. I am closing with the quotation, Do right, trust in God, and fear no man. Signed, Joseph Rosengart, Butenhausen, Germany, April 16, 1846. And again, this was a letter that was written to Herman Cohn as he was leaving Germany at the age of 17 to come to America. But there's a lot in that for you new graduates, some going into the workforce, some going to college. A lot of good advice in that letter. I read a letter that actually was a speech that was given somewhere, and I'm just going to read you part of it. The gist of it was a boy, when he was in high school, he was in the ninth grade, saw somebody drop all of his books. So he went over and helped the boy pick up the books. Then they became friends after that. They had not really known each other. Four years later, the boy who had dropped those books was the one giving the graduation speech. He evidently was like the student body president or the valedictorian. And he spoke about this friend that he found that day who had helped him pick up his books. And he said he had taken all the books out of his locker because he was going to go home and commit suicide because he didn't know anybody. He had just transferred into that school. But that one friend that he had made all the difference. And in his graduation speech, he was thanking that friend and saying how important friends are to people. So I want to read you the last part of this. It said, never underestimate the power of your actions. With one small gesture, you can change a person's life for better or for worse. God puts us all in each other's lives to impact one another in some way. Look for God in others. And then I want to read you a sermon that Charles Stanley gave about nine years ago. And it's talking about life's number one priority. We all choose what we're going to spend our time on and how we're going to invest our time. This is talking about life's number one priority. The time that we spend alone with Jesus should be our number one priority. Do you value your relationship with Jesus enough to make time to be alone with him? There will always be distractions. He wants us to spend time with him. If you knew you would die today, what would be your priority? When I take time alone with Jesus and God, what can I expect? And here are 12 things that you can expect. He will quiet my spirit no matter what your circumstances or what storm you are in. Number two, he will give divine energy. Number three, it will strengthen your faith. Number four, you will be refreshed in your emotions because God can meet all your needs. It will purify your heart. Number six, the greatest time saver in life, time spent alone with the Lord will multiply your time and you will be more fruitful and accomplish much more. Number seven, you will receive instruction and insight and direction from his word that we may not get any other way. Number eight, it prepares us for conflict. We know who is really in control. Number nine, it anchors us for the storms of life. It anchors us to truth. And we all know that storms are going to come. If you've not had a storm in your life, get ready because you will. Number 10, when we are hurting, we can go to him in our pain. Number 11, we can unburden our heart. We can share our deepest thoughts and we don't have to worry about confidentiality. Number 12, joy that is deeper and more fulfilling than happiness because its source is not in the world. It is abiding joy that is deeper and stronger because its source is in God. So these are all the things that we can expect, the benefits of spending time alone with Jesus and God. Happiness depends on circumstances. Joy depends on a relationship. 
If you spend time with the Lord, He can give you all this and sends the Holy Spirit to live in us to enable us to become godly men and women. Can anybody anywhere in the world tell you of any other experience that will give you all of that? Charles H. Spurgeon says there are three effects of nearness to Jesus. Humility, happiness, and holiness. In Proverbs 4.11, I would have you learn this great fact, that a life of doing right is the wisest life there is. I think one of those right things is spending time with Jesus and God every day. Your relationship with God is a choice that you make. Spending time with God each day is a wise investment of your time. The purpose of this program is to point people to God and a relationship with Jesus Christ because I know that the only hope we really have for today will be found in that relationship. I have these little charts and they'll tell the different places that you can go in the Bible. This particular chart is in the Psalms. You can go for if you're sad or you're disappointed or just different things. And the chapters that it has pointed me to for guidance, because I feel like not only do the new graduates need guidance, we probably all do. We could all benefit from that. So I'm going to read you some of these chapters, some of these verses from the Psalms, starting with Psalm 1. All the joys of those who do not follow evil men's advice, who do not hang around with sinners, scoffing at the things of God. But they delight in doing everything God wants them to, and day and night are always meditating on His laws and thinking about ways to follow Him more closely. They are like trees along a river bank, bearing luscious fruit each season without fail. Their leaves shall never wither, and all they do shall prosper. But for sinners, what a different story. They blow away like chaff before the wind. They are not safe on judgment day. They shall not stand among the godly. For the Lord watches over all the plans and paths of godly men, but the paths of the godless lead to doom. And then the next chapter that they said to read for guidance is chapter 5, and David wrote this. O Lord, hear me praying. Listen to my plea. O God, my King, for I will never pray to anyone but you. Each morning I will look to you in heaven and lay my request before you, praying earnestly. I know you get no pleasure from wickedness and cannot tolerate the slightest sin. Therefore, proud sinners will not survive your searching gaze for how you hate their evil deeds. You will destroy them for their lies, how you abhor all murder and deception. But as for me, I will come into your temple protected by your mercy and your love. I will worship you with deepest awe. And then I'm going to move on to the end of that chapter. But make everyone rejoice who puts his trust in you. Keep them shouting for joy because you are defending them. Fill all who love you with your happiness, for you bless the godly man, O Lord. You protect him with your shield of love. Another chapter that was written by David, another psalm. Psalm 15, Lord, who may go and find refuge and shelter in your tabernacle up on your holy hill? Anyone who leads a blameless life and is truly sincere. Anyone who refuses to slander others, does not listen to gossip, never harms his neighbor, speaks out against sin, criticizing those committing it, commends the faithful followers of the Lord, keeps a promise even if it ruins him, does not crush his debtors with high interest rates, and refuses to testify against the innocent despite the bribes offered him. Such a man shall stand firm forever. Then moving on to chapter 19, and I'm going to read you the last part of this, starting with verse 7. God's laws are perfect. They protect us, make us wise, and give us joy and light. God's laws are pure, eternal, just. They are more desirable than gold. They are sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb, for they warn us away from harm and give success to those who obey them. But how can I ever know what sins are lurking in my heart? 
Cleanse me from these hidden faults and keep me from deliberate wrongs. Help me to stop doing them. Only then can I be free of guilt and innocent of some great crime. May my spoken words and unspoken thoughts be pleasing even to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Then I want to read you chapter 20, verse 4. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May there be shouts of joy when you hear news of your victory, flags flying with praise to God for all that he has done for you. May he answer all your prayers. I want to switch gears a minute. I may come back to reading some more of these Psalms. There's a couple other things I want to read, and I don't want to miss this opportunity. The last day of December of 2017, a young woman in our church, it was on the college day, and when she gave her talk, I asked her if I might be able to use it in a future program, and she gave me permission. Her name is Elizabeth Wooters, and she was talking about her faith. As teenagers, I feel that we are often led to believe that faith is something that only the wiser members of the church have or something that people with really great and riveting stories experience. While I knew what faith was as a freshman in college, I slowly and painfully realized that I didn't know what my faith looked like or how to apply it. I had joined a campus ministry, found a church I could call home, and even joined the choir. And yet, when it came to my personal health and well-being, where was my faith? It felt like something was missing. After a long and hard first semester, I realized that I felt very alone in a campus with over 30,000 people. I think my campus minister started to take notice because he began to direct me to passages that taught me who I was and what I was worth. Colossians began the long walk that has led me to know and believe that my true worth is in the fact that I am a child of the one true King. But how did this relate to my faith? You see, feeling alone had prompted me to put my faith in things rather than in my God. I defined myself as the dancer, the musician, the excellent student, and slowly but surely those things were taken out of my life. What was I left with? In the summer, I decided I needed to take a step back. After all, don't they say our faith should be like that of a child, so willing, so trusting, without reserve? I thought the best place to start would be somewhere near the beginning. I picked up a copy of Fundamentals of the Faith by John MacArthur, and I stumbled across a verse from Paul's second letter to Timothy when studying the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I am a strong believer that this verse found me and continued the work that Colossians had begun. Power, love, and self-discipline. How could my stubborn spirit, full of doubt, fear, and anxiety, possibly be greater than the spirit that provided these things? The simple answer is that it can't. The Lord knew exactly how he'd bring me to realize this in my second year by placing me as a small group leader for a non-existent woman's small group in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at North Carolina State University. The process started with a lot of doubt and frustration. How was I going to do this, and why had God picked me, someone who was struggling herself to find the meaning of faith? I would have to spend 14 days doing outreach, going up to and calling students, strangers, or friends to invite them to hear the word and to build a small group from the ground up. Anyone who knows me knows this is not something I would typically volunteer for. Then I'd have to spend hours planning and preparing nights of scripture and discipleship. This process was where I found power, love, and self-discipline and truly found that it only takes being a child of God to serve Him. 
If there is one thing I would say I have enjoyed most in the past five months, it would be this beautiful small group which went from nights of prayer with my co-leader, nights of desperately saying, just one God, just bring us one woman, to eight dedicated women who have shown me day in and day out what my faith can look like when it is built on prayer, hope, and love. While this transformation was sometimes slow and painful and far from over, I have been able to reflect on how wonderful it has been. I can't help but notice the subtle changes in my habits over the past year and a half, going to God in prayer and seeking Scripture instead of ignoring God and becoming flustered, recognizing that my strength, my discipline, and my accomplishments are all gifts from God. These small things are the foundation of my faith. And so I'd like to issue a challenge, young people. Have you ever pondered what your faith looks like? I hope you take a minute to think about things that make you feel like God is with you. Although you are young, you are fully capable of beginning to figure out how to apply faith to your life and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And to our wiser members, how often do you intertwine a childlike faith into your own? Do you have moments of surrender? Do you ever take the time to do a little self-evaluation? Are there areas of doubt? Are there places where you have let fear take over faith? I encourage you in your faith to pray for us in ours, to follow urgings from the Holy Spirit, and to always seek moments to praise our wonderful Lord and Savior. And again, these were the words of Elizabeth Wooters on the college day at the end of 2017 at the First Baptist Church in Smithfield. Now I want to read you this poem that I came across several years ago, The Greatest Test. Help me to walk so close to thee that those who know me best can see I live as godly as I pray, and Christ is real from day to day. I see some once a day or year. To them I blameless might appear. Tis easy to be kind and sweet to people whom we seldom meet. But in my home are those who see too many times the worst of me. My hymns of praise were best unsung if he does not control my tongue. When I am vexed and sorely tried and my impatience cannot hide. May no one stumble over me, because thy love they fail to see. But give me, Lord, a life that sings, and victory over little things. Give me thy calm for every fear, thy peace for every falling tear. Make mine, O Lord, through calm and strife, a gracious and unselfish life. Help me with those who know me best, for Jesus' sake, to stand the test. And that was the poem, The Greatest Test, by Barbara C. Ryberg. Now I'm going to move back to the book of Psalms. I'm going to go on to chapter 25. This is another Psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I pray, don't fail me, Lord, for I am trusting you. Don't let my enemies succeed. Don't give them victory over me. None of those who have faith in God will ever be disgraced for trusting him. But all who harm the innocent shall be defeated. Show me the path where I should go, O Lord. Point out the right road for me to walk. Lead me. Teach me, for you are the God who gives me salvation. I have no hope except in you. Overlook my youthful sins, O Lord. Look at me instead through eyes of mercy and forgiveness, through eyes of everlasting love and kindness. The Lord is good and glad to teach the proper path to all who go astray. He will teach the ways that are right and best to those who humbly turn to him. And when we obey him, every path he guides us on is fragrant with his loving kindness and his truth. At the end of that psalm, my eyes are ever looking to the Lord for help, for he alone can rescue me. Come, Lord, and show me your mercy, for I am helpless, overwhelmed, in deep distress. My problems go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from them all. 
See my sorrows, feel my pain, forgive my sins, save me from them, deliver my life. Oh, let it never be said that I trusted you in vain. I want to close with a poem. Some of you will be very familiar with the name Philip Brooks because he wrote the words to a little town of Bethlehem. But he also wrote this prayer that I came across some time ago, which I've always liked. And here it is. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your task. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be a miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself, at the richness of life which has come to you by the grace of God. And I close with this verse from Psalm 31:24. Be strong and take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Thank you for listening.
to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carol Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 